As 2022 comes to a close, we are facing stubbornly high inflation, aggressive interest rate hikes, and geopolitical tensions brought on by the war in Ukraine. Some of these events were foreseeable, some perhaps not so much. We asked Adrian Pask, Chief Investment Officer at PSG Wealth, to look back on the year and see if it played out as he expected and what might we expect in 2023. Welcome back, Adrian. I guess while nobody's got a crystal ball, uh, when it comes to investment, it's a question of making educated guesses based on the best data that you've got. Now, you actually made quite a few correct calls this year. Can you walk us through some of the events you expected to happen that actually did transpire? Yeah, Kieran, thank you very much for, for having me. Yeah, I think it really comes down to to one key piece of research um, that helped us quite a bit. And uh, it feels obvious in hindsight, but if we think back to the beginning of the year, most people were still fairly unsure as to where global interest rates would go. Uh, most felt that they would go higher, but uh, very few expected them to go as high as what they have, as quickly as what they have. Our feeling at the beginning of the year is that um, inflation would be a lot stickier than what was um, expected at the time. Um, and the, the logical implication is then obviously for interest rates to surprise on the upside and for them to come through a lot more aggressively than what the market was pricing in at the time. And, and that really um, helped us quite a lot uh, in terms of making other calls in our portfolios which benefited from that view. So uh, obviously, if, if interest rates go up, um, valuations start to matter a whole lot more because growth has started just comes into question, really. The fears around recession as interest rates are elevated uh, quickly. And then obviously also stocks that will do right to price in those elevated risks to the macro environment. And typically, we felt at the time that the stocks would, that would not benefit from that situation could come under strain were um, high duration, high growth stocks or stocks that are pricing in elevated levels of growth for a very long period of time. And the stocks that came to mind, I mean, something that we discussed on, on the podcast as well at the beginning of the year, with typically the, the tech companies have very high profit margins, and it was priced into them that they will sustain those margins and growth rates for a very long time. And we just felt, given that the backdrop from a macro perspective would deteriorate a lot quicker, that those stocks um, stand in a very vulnerable position from a valuation perspective. And we've seen them come off. The other one is probably speculative investments in general, and it seems like we live in a bit of a a polarized world there. Either you love it or you hate it, but, but we're not um, very keen on it, just given that it's still a very new area of the market, a very misunderstood area of the market. And obviously, speculative investments didn't do well um, in an environment where we see tightening belts. The other big consequence from, from the interest rate view was developed market bonds. And that's actually a view that we had even prior to um, interest rates coming down a lot through COVID. We just felt that the yields were very, very low. And even after COVID, essentially, they could only go up from there. And and they have seen some pain. And it's actually been very painful for investors because when both uh, development market bonds and equities start to sell off, then obviously offshore portfolios start to suffer. And I think the, the final one and, and something that remains important going into next year um, is margins. So we've, we expected margins to come 
uh, come off as the cost of capital increases as interest rates increase. And that starts to impact the margin of these businesses and ultimately the earnings. And that's when sentiment really starts to go out on those companies. Um, we have seen some of that start to come through, but margins are still a lot higher than what we think they will be during a recessionary environment or even a close to recessionary environment. I think one of the other calls that you made at the beginning of the year was China. And um, you did expect uh, to see the sustainability of Chinese economic growth continuing and the impact that that would have on commodity prices. So uh, were you happy with that call? China is obviously a key consumer in the global environment. And the health of the, the, the Chinese economy is super important for commodity producers like ourselves. And even though we've seen Chinese growth be a lot lower than what we would have been used to over the last 20 odd years, uh, it still remains relatively high compared to the rest of the world. And there's obviously also a lot of supply side constraints in there, which has really been the key driver um, behind elevated commodity prices. And I, I think the one area that we could predict from that perspective is that obviously when we put budgets down from a um, from a, a national perspective, we won't see the Minister of Finance make bullish predictions on what commodity prices will be, uh, at least not on a sustainable level for, for years and years. Um, and our feeling was that they will be higher and that will be very beneficial for our fiscus. And that has been the case. Unfortunately, it hasn't really transpired into um, any sentiment benefit because we've had other challenges that also weigh in so between um, the Eskonsaga that said to continue and the allegations made against the president, I think those things were obviously counterproductive to, to any sentiment change. But that being said, uh, the fiscus is in much better shape than what we would have expected through COVID. I think when we saw the budgets come out, the predictions were for us to be around that 100% level of debt to GDP, and currently we're under 70 and that's largely thanks to, thanks to purely higher commodity prices and um, fiscal collections on the revenue side from uh, mining companies. I take it that some of the geopolitical developments, and I'm talking here specifically about the war in Ukraine, that took everybody by surprise. Did it take you by surprise? Or, and what else surprised you this year? Yeah, no, I think absolutely it, it took us by surprise. And those things will happen, I think, from an investment perspective. You know, I, I, it would be disingenuous to say that obviously we – we forecast for all these kind of things. I think the best that you can do is to diversify the portfolio on the one side in terms of proactive action. But once those things take place, then you also need to find opportunities. So it's not always just about adjusting for the risk, but it's also keeping in mind where the market has potentially mispriced the risk, uh, priced in excessive risk discounts and where you can pick up assets cheaply. But definitely it did catch us by surprise. But it's funny, it, it's always the political stuff that seemed to catch us. Um, it's almost from a, if we think about politics globally and locally, we say we, we never know what the exact situation is going to be. But there's, every year there's some kind of a surprise that come out. I think um, if you speak to anybody in the UK at the moment, they, they'll probably tell you a very long story as to how surprised they are around the politics in, in that environment. And then obviously in our environment, I mentioned the allegations against the president has been a surprise for us. Um, and there will be uh, and there will be similar surprises next year for sure. But I think uh, for surprises this year, largely on the political front and, and between the the war and in Europe and and uh, the situation in the UK, probably the the two biggest ones. What do you think was the biggest investment lesson you learnt uh, as a manager this year, and how do you think that lesson can be of assistance to investors going forward? If we think back to a couple of years ago, in, 
21. You know, we weren't very popular when we started communicating that we think tech companies were in trouble. And often the, the counter argument is that these are very good quality businesses and they will continue to make money. They perfectly placed. They uh, ensure productivity gains in other businesses. They will remain in demand. They continue to innovate. They've got large diversified product lines and the story goes on. But I think the lesson that we've learned this year with many of those companies, the majority of them coming off significantly, is that there's a meaningful difference between a good business and a good investment. None of those businesses are bad businesses. We, we are of the opinion that all of the, those businesses are great businesses, but they don't necessarily make for good investments. And ideally what we would want to do in our portfolios is to, to find the intersection between a good business and a good investment. Um, and that doesn't really happen often. So these good businesses often trade at expensive multiples because they are in glamour territory. I think what's happening at the moment is they, they're starting to sell off and all of a sudden you find these good businesses are becoming a little bit more attractive. Um, and, and hopefully we're heading to a situation where we will be able to invest in, in those businesses that will make for a good investment outcome in the end. But in short, I think this year investors learned that it's very possible to lose money by investing in good businesses if you overpay. Okay, so it's crystal ball time again. I'm going to ask you, what does your research say about what could happen in the markets next year? Yeah, it's, uh, predictions, always a, a fun part of, of the year. And I, I know many people have, um, you know, very, again, uh, somewhat uh, polarized views on, on these things. But I think there are things that you can forecast. I think you should position your portfolio according to the things that you can, with a relatively high degree of certainty, say will take place next year. And coming back to my comments around politics is I think you would be naive to position a portfolio that that won't be subject to some political turbulence somewhere in the world. I think politics will continue to have a big, big impact, especially over the short term. I mean, we, we know that over the long term, it's all about earnings and, and, uh, and performance follows the earnings. But over the short term, sentiment is a big role to play in, in, in where prices go. And politics, unfortunately, do feature in there. So I think politics will remain important next year. And one final comment maybe on, on the politics is that I mean, we're not completely discounting the political framework as less important over the medium and longer term if, um, if there's significant policy impact. So sometimes the changes are, are purely just bad for, for sentiment because it looks optically bad. In other cases, the policy changes are material and they need to be factored into valuation. So I think there's the key distinction that investors need to make when something in the political environment happens. Something really important for next year is I, I think it's likely that Fed hikes will peak next year. So, you know, in our team, we're already starting to look for, for opportunities. I don't know if we've seen the, the bottom just yet, but we're definitely in a mindset now of, of considering some of these good businesses that have been more expensive and, and seeing if we can find nice, attractive opportunities for our clients. But for next year, definitely, um, I think valuations will underpin asset cost performance. So U.S. equity is likely to, to continue to underperform um, just because they've done so well over the preceding cycles and the valuations are high, the margins are very high, and we expect the tide to go up on, on many of those variables. And I think a, a very big positive for investors, both in local portfolios and in offshore ones, is that I think the more conservative asset classes will start to contribute to portfolios again. So with cash rates being as low as what they are, if you're in a multi-asset portfolio, your cash was really a drag on your performance, especially considering that inflation numbers are, are, are heading higher. It didn't make a lot of sense. But now all of a sudden with rates going higher and bond yields following higher, 
both bonds and cash um, have a supporting role to play uh, in a diversified portfolio again. So I think that's very positive for, for clients in those mandates. And a very meaningful story for next year as well will be dollar weakness and the impact that that will have um, on portfolios and asset classes, etc. Our view is that the, the dollar is unsustainably strong at the moment. And we've done some work to anticipate, you know, what do we expect to see in a world where, where there's some more dollar um, dollar weakness? And obviously, we'll be talking about um, unexpected RAND strength um, and what that means for local investment. So it's not just about the RAND, but bonds will, will react very positively to that. Um, I think it's likely that our bond market will have a good year next year. And then uh, that will also have an impact on our listed property companies, um, our financials, anything SA Inc., if the dollar uh, was to weaken and normalize. Well, Adrian Pask, we look forward to catching up with you next year and see how many of these uh, predictions or forecasts come true. And I'm pretty sure most of them will. So thanks very much again for your time. Thank you very much, Kieran. We appreciate it. And that was Adrian Pask, who is Chief Investment Officer at PSG Wealth.